And, and, and to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we need to write blog posts about how horrible we are, right? That's not the, <laughs> that's not the, that's not the point. Um, Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my 20-year B2B marketing career and share some marketing street knowledge that I hope will help you become a rockstar CMO. Come say hello. You can find this podcast at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 14th of May. Regular listeners might notice I got the month wrong last week. Clearly lockdown is getting to me. But wherever you are, I hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In today's episode, Jeff Clark returns for One to Watch, One Hit Wonder or Wonderful. My guest is the Senior Vice President of Products at Hootsuite, Darren Guanaccia. And of course, I complete the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director for Serious Decisions and Forrester, is back for one to watch, one hit wonder or wonderball. Let's see what's hot or not in the world of marketing this week. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO. How are you? Great. Good afternoon. Ah, yes. Good afternoon to you. And did yeah. you enjoy your your week off from us last oh, week? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was very nice, and the the weather here is warming up, and mm-hmm. uh, so spring is in the air, and it's always good to be outside doing stuff. So good. yes, that's what we did. Good. And your replacement, David, has left the place. Your little spot, your hot seat, tidy and without crumbs or anything like that. Uh, it looks pretty in. good. Yeah. Of course, it's all virtual. I don't know how you pick up virtual. Cr- I know virtual cookies, but I don't know about virtual crumbs. Splendid. Well, um, welcome back to One to Watch, One Hit Wonder or Wonderwall, where we are going to decide uh, what's hot and what's not in the world of marketing. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when we, when we chatted and um, – Last, we talked about discussing intent marketing, which I think is a, a very interesting topic. Um, and as I normally do when I toss the grenade of the topic over in your direction, what say you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it is, um, you know, I think intent marketing is a, it's interesting. In, in the, if you think back to a lot of the conversations we had, where we were talking about privacy and we were talking about, you know, tracking people on the web and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it all, it, a lot of it is, is, um, is around this idea that, that is certainly it's very recent, this idea that you could actually get triggers about buying intent from, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're doing account-based marketing, you're just looking at accounts or you've got, you know, specific individuals you're tracking. And, and, um, uh, and certainly if you go back, well, gosh, I don't know how far you have to go back before companies like the demand bases or whatever came up with the idea of, Oh, I can actually track people on your website, you know, to a, to a, a contact. Um, and, um, so it's something that's been in development for a while, 
And um, I think the interesting, I mean, there's a couple of interesting uh, dimensions that are, that are updating this. And one is that you see uh, technology companies now appealing to sales for sales intent. So how mm-hmm. can you, you know, whoever's in your CRM system, how can I help you discover that they're actually, uh, they're, they're active out there and, and looking at, um, you know, they're, they're shopping, they're out there shopping and you got to bring them in the store. And, and um, the other thing is, is that certainly the company I worked with immediately prior was uh, forced to serious decisions. And, mm-hmm. and the, the team that was, that had built their demand waterfall was continuing to evolve it. And one of the things that was, the uh, the recent innovation. I mean, they just recently did another revision of it. Mm-hmm. But if I go back, um, I actually think it's three years ago at this point. They started to build the funnel uh, as being both a sales and marketing funnel. It's not just you know the the old days. It was like marketing did their bit. You yeah. know got people to engage, take them through qualifying, take them over yeah. to you know inside sales, business development, whatever. They qual- tr- telequalify and move it on. So everything seemed very linear and, yeah. and everybody had their very distinct roles, which, which isn't reality because, um, because anybody could be looking for 10 signals, right? It could yeah. be the salesperson. It could be the professional services guy on the, you know, that's on a, a gig that's at, at the client or it could be marketing. It could be the guy who manages the, uh, the webcasts or it could be the Marcom or the marketing ops person who's re- reading reports and saying, Oh, look, you know, this company is just, we got like six hits on the website from this company yeah. or it could be, you know, AI that, that does this, which is what a lot of vendors are providing. So, so one of the, the you know, it, it makes things that, you know, as often happens as technology evolves is that everything gets more complicated, but then the technology is supposed to simplify it. Yeah. So when you think about sales and marketing, looking for buying signals together, then you get into these organizational issues of, okay, how do we, how do we actually do that? You know, do I, is it marketing ops and sales ops sitting together and reading reports? Is it, you put people in kind of pods of, you know, marketing and sales are together in regions or, yeah. you know, some sort of targeting organization um, principle. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to do from an organizational mm-hmm. perspective. And although one of the companies I think I referred to many weeks ago, I can't remember how many weeks ago, was <laughs> and, and they had done a great job at um, creating the uh, the analytics tools that enabled regional sales and marketing teams to evaluate demand together. Mm-hmm. That's so that's the ideal. That's the, is that, you know, whatever that pod is that's focused on a set of accounts or maybe a particular big account, they're actually looking at the signals together. And, um, is that is that what we mean by intent marketing then? Um, the the data analysis um, of being able to understand exactly where somebody is in the customer journey. Right. Right. So that's right. If you so you know, and again, if you if you think back to the the latest version of the demand waterfall that the mm. folks at Sirius build is the is that okay, I've got it at the top, I've got my target. So it's mm-hmm. either my total addressable market or serviceable market, mm-hmm. but I've identified X number of accounts and now I'm going to use various tools that says there's somebody from that account that's in market, you know, mm-hmm. researching 
you know, what we sell yep. and, and they could do it through a third party site, like a G2 crowd or a tech target or, you know, mm-hmm. something where it's like people are looking for, you know, looking for stuff, doing research. They could do it through, you know, um, you know, other, uh, certainly a lot of the predictive analytics vendors, et cetera, you mm-hmm. know, have got these tools of like, we're just, we're just pulling stuff in from the web yeah. and we're, we're saying, Oh my gosh, these people are out, they're out shopping. Yeah. And, um, and now with this, the kind of the sales AI tools is, is yeah. now that now sales has got tools that are focused on, uh, on, on them that are saying there are people who are in your, you know, in your CRM system who we see as being active. So there's all these ways of, of getting that intent and then, and then certainly once you've engaged them, then you take them down to the next level of the funnel and say, okay, now we've got it. And now we can work it through to qualified, but mm-hmm. you're getting a hint ahead of time mm-hmm. of, of, you know, what accounts Is individuals. It, so from, from, if we look at the role of sales and marketing in intent, sales and marketing are we is it specific enough that it can say okay right we as we look at um, in the the intent data of this particular account and we're again talking very b2b here again aren't we jeff yes um, is um is i the do these techniques allow you to say well this i think this this account needs more nurture so therefore it goes to marketing or this this account needs somebody to go give them a call and therefore it sits with sales is that is it specific enough that that's how it works i think so um that certainly could be one aspect of it, but it, mm. there's a couple other aspects. Is one is is um, is when you're since you know, B two B, you've got typically multiple uh, mm. people in a buying um, situation and and you're in a buying group, and you may not know who they are. You may not mm. know any of them. You know, it's mm-hmm. like so ABC company. They're on my target account list. I don't have anybody in my database and I, and you know, the old days of going out and buying a list to say, mm-hmm. give me all the IT people or mm-hmm. all the operations people at ABC company. And I mean, yeah. that just doesn't, doesn't work anymore because those mm-hmm. lists are just trash these days. Mm-hmm. And of course, all the vendor, all the data vendors that sponsor this podcast are but anyway, but it's like, th- that doesn't work anymore. So it's like, what you have to be doing is, is using these intent tools to start to say, okay, there, here's, here's a couple individuals that are, um, that we know are, are shopping for our types of solutions. And if I can have enough information around that individual, I can actually say they're in a buying group that I am, I want to get to know. And as I build out more people in the buying group, I mean, with intent tools, it's like now I can see them before we've actually engaged them. And so if there are people that I understand in the buying group that I've mapped out, that I'm, I'm getting the signals from any of my um, intent marketing tools. And then somebody actually went to a webcast, uh, you know, they, yeah. they actually did engage in any marketing activity that we right. did. Okay. Now I've got, I've now I've got a bigger, a better picture of who's in the buying group. And now I can make the decision of, okay, is this, is this, are we ripe for a follow-up call? Mm-hmm. Are we just going to put them into, you know, what we classify as a nurture program and try to mm-hmm. send up follow-up materials. Um, but I got more information than I used to, as opposed mm-hmm. to just, you know, I'm going to set up my multi-stage, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, nurture campaign and hope something pops out the other end. It's, yeah. it's more intelligent than that. 
So this is um, an extension of the account-based marketing that we were talking about a few weeks ago, right? So, the, so what you have to do to, in order to, for in a B two B scenario anyway, is the suggestion here that we you'd need to identify those accounts that you want to go after, um, and those sectors that you want to go after, and then find the data that indicates which of those accounts are actually start in in the buying mood that are then engaging with you, yep. and then understanding through what they consume and the activity they're doing, whereabouts they sit in the buying journey. So it, it, there's a sort of a, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an understanding of the content and messaging that we're doing aspects of this, isn't there? In that, in that you need to know, you need to know a little bit about what it is they're consuming to indicate where they are in the intent, what they intend to do. Where, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because you're, you're trying to match your internal uh, selling journey or mm-hmm. the funnel because because yeah. any demand waterfall funnel is, is yep. an internal view. You're trying to match yep. that with, with the external buying journey. Mm-hmm. Right. So if people are out, you know, on any number of these sites and they're doing yep. research as you can, you can reasonably bet they're early in their buying process. Mm-hmm. They're not late in their buying process because mm-hmm. late in their buying process, they're, they're knocking on doors and walking in the shop mm-hmm. and asking questions. Um, and, you know, one of the um, companies that, 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 you know, that has done a really good job of this. And this is a case study going back several years was, and they, they, they presented at, um, uh, at a number of the, Serious decisions events was um, mm-hmm. a company called Kronos. They're U- actually they're global, but they're primarily U.S. based, and they yeah. and in the U.K. and um, you know they had to kind of the top of the funnel was like four thousand accounts, and uh, and they used you know tools like True Influence and G Two Crowd to get those early intent signals, uh, and they also used. You know, uh, like a demand base for anybody, somebody that came to the website yeah. and was searching on particular um, you know, solution pages. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden, everything starts rolling into their marketing automation and their yeah. you know, their CRM system because now it's yeah. like now I'm I'm capturing things that I can actually attach to yeah. contacts to opportunities, and I can they they didn't at least at that point they didn't get into the the. Um, process of scoring an opportunity, but that's one of the other things a lot of other companies have done is you, you either actually, I think Salesforce build an object that would let you score an opportunity mm-hmm. based on, you know, I've, I've, um, I've identified so many people in the buying group. I've mm-hmm. got so many signals of who's out yeah. there connected with us or is out there on third party sites. Yeah. And now I can say, here's one that we should be paying more attention to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still something we've been doing, um, I guess as marketers, as B2B marketers for a while, right? You, you always know that when somebody fills in a book, a demo <laughs> form, you kind of know their intent then. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and, and that sort of lead scoring, um, that's, it, you know, if somebody comes on your website five times, it counts as something and, and therefore, there's yep. a there's a level of intent inferred from that, isn't there? So, it's, and, but the thing yeah. is, it's like what the you know as we've discussed before, it's like so yeah. many people are doing their research before they ever reveal themselves. Yep. It's like yeah, before yeah. they get to booking the demo, it's like yeah, I yeah. know if I book the demo, yeah. I'll be hounded for once. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um, so. What do we think? I mean, I know that um, I, I think we're on fairly safe ground with this one. So what's your view? Is this going to be a one to watch, which I think is a bit mature for that? Is it 
Is it a one-hit wonder? It seems to be late for, for a while. Yeah. Late for that, and is or it is a Wonderwall? Or is it a Wonderwall? I, I mean, I, I would say it's a Wonderwall, and mm-hmm. um, you know, one is because the technology keeps evolving to enable you know using AI mm-hmm. tools to be able to do this better and better and better. So that's yeah. secondly, they're they're technology providers in this space that mm-hmm. many of them started 15 years ago with, mm-hmm. you know, in the predictive analytics mm-hmm. areas or an ABM marketing tool, blah, blah, mm-hmm. And they just continued, you know, the ones that survive have continued to evolve. And they're, mm-hmm. so they're, they're vested in making this, this work. And, and I, you know, just heard so many success stories of people mm-hmm. who, who are doing this right. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and again, I think that the tools are there to help, you know, because it go back to one of the challenges is in a fairly large organization with multiple products, marketing people spread across regions and, you know, yeah. maybe maybe different business units or whatever. It becomes complicated and the tools are making it easier to support that that kind of right. um, distributed, complicated organization. Right. right. Perfect. So we'll be playing out with Oasis and Wonderwall. So I don't need to think of a new song this yeah it's handy well, um, I, yeah, um, we're, we're, we can't do any more one hit wonders because one of the things um yeah one of the um, well, um what i'm curious about with some of this stuff is is about um whether all the um changes with cookies and privacy and stuff will affect these because a lot of these tools aren't they they're they're, they're picking up their data so that it sort of goes back to some of the other conversations we've had about yeah. data and yeah. earning trust so uh yes we're on a bit yeah. of a theme so, um, will uh, will you join me again to discuss another hit or miss next week? Sure, that's splendid. I should have asked you that before we started recording, but I'm glad you said sure. <laughs> so, I'll see you again next week. Thank you very much, mate. I'll include uh, the links to um, if, I, if if we can track down those case studies you mentioned. I'll include the links to that in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Awesome. Cheers. Take Jeff. care. Cheers. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out You've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Thank you, Jeff. There we have it. Intent marketing, a wonder wall. And of course, that was Oasis. Do you agree with us? Let us know what you think. I'll share some of the research that Jeff referred to and include it in the show notes. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm. Right, on to this week's guest. Darren Guanaccia is the SVP of product at Hootsuite, the global leader in social media management, where he leads the company's product management, product strategy and product marketing functions. Darren has over 20 years of experience in marketing technology leadership roles, having previously been at Crown Peak, where he held the position of chief product and strategy officer. There he built out the product marketing function, unifying product management and product strategy. Previously, he was the CMO at Lytics, a leading independent CDP vendor. And before Lytics, he was the executive vice president in several roles over a 10-year career at Sitecore, including chief strategy officer, playing an instrumental role in establishing the company's market-leading product strategy, go-to-market motions and partner ecosystem. 
Throughout his career, Darren has held roles at the intersection of product strategy and go-to-market and brings his customer outcomes focus to everything he does, including to us at Rockstar CMO FM. It was fabulous to catch up with Darren. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Darren, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, Ian. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're uh, delighted. I mean, we've known each other for how many years uh, since that time at Gilbane that I won't talk too much about, but when we were competing vendors on the same stage, was that? At least two decades. (laughs) <laughs> it was not two decades, but it was a long time ago. Um, and uh, as I sort of read out in your bio, you're you're now at Hootsuite, social media platform, which I'm pretty sure our audience will know or maybe even use. But I better, for those that haven't, quickly describe what Hootsuite does for me, please. Hootsuite uh, provides a platform for you to publish across lots mm-hmm. of different social media types from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. Um, and it supports from the mom and pop operations like my literally my own mother <laughs> who knows who Hootsuite is all the way up to companies like uh, McDonald's, yeah. like global brands. And and so really helps people uh, be able to publish at scale, but but also you know stay in touch and, and, and have conversations with their customers across all the different networks and platforms. Right, right. So we've got the Hootsuite bit out of the way. So what is it that you do at Hootsuite then, Aaron? So my, my title is, is uh, the head of product. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, I, what I actually do is, is sort of live at the crossroads between kind of what we make mm-hmm. and, uh, and how we bring it to market and, and the strategy mixed into that. So that's product marketing, product management, strategy, our ecosystem, all of the things that help us figure out what problem should we be solving for our customers mm-hmm. uh, and, and how do we talk to them about it? Uh, and, and really bringing the, it's the in, I, I call it the in and the out, right? How do you bring the knowledge from the market into the org? How do you figure out the problems you're going to solve for your customers and then how do you bring it back to the market? Yeah, that's super interesting. And, um, you know, like I was saying, we've known each other quite a while. You've had an interesting career path. You're a techie, former techie, a bit like myself. You've been a CTO, a CMO, but the common thread has always been product leadership, right? With you, product management, product marketing, sounds like that's where you're on the crossroads of right now. Um, as a former CMO yourself, what do you think is the relationship between marketing and new product guys? <laughs> I think the best relationships, honestly, I mean, there's a, the wild debates about where does product marketing live? Does it live in marketing? Yeah. Does it live in product? I, I don't think that's really the right question. The, real, the question is, how do you make the org work in a way that just is Customer centric, mm-hmm. outcome centric. I used to say uh, for years that customers don't buy products; they want to solve outcomes. Yeah, and that's still true. Yeah. And and so one of my missions when I joined Hootsuite was how do I bring an outcome centric mentality to the product mm-hmm. and and also marketing because the outcomes you're trying to drive in product are the same outcomes you should be talking about in marketing. Yeah. And I feel that that's the intersection that needs to happen is bringing that team together to say, here are the outcomes we're trying to drive. Here's how to talk about it. Here's how the product should work to solve those outcomes and, and get mm-hmm. customers to the best benefit they can get from the product. That's uh, Yeah. And that's, uh, that sounds perfect because you talk on LinkedIn about transforming your team from feature function to customer driven mindset, which I think to anybody who's sat, sat in that sort of cusp between products and the market will probably appeal to them. So how, what do you mean by customer driven mindset? Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, customer-driven mindset is is like, what's the job to be done? You know, mm-hmm. Clayton Christensen talked about this for years. You know, that, that famous milkshake analogy that they realized that people were actually buying milkshakes to entertain themselves on their way to work. And when you understand what the outcome is that someone wants from your product, mm-hmm. you can dial it in. You can really solve their problems in a way when you really understand the outcome they're seeking. Uh, yeah. We realized at Hootsuite, I'll give you an example, that part of the thing we needed to solve for was not just publishing on social media. Yeah. It was the outcome was give me confidence that I'm doing the right thing. Help me know what to do, when to do, how to do. And so that with understanding of the outcome, it all of a sudden changed how we were building product. It changed how we talked about the product because now it's about how do I level you up? How do I help you be more confident? How do I right. help you achieve greater results? Oh, that's really interesting because also, I mean, that's talking about the emotion of the user and the emotion of the buyer at the same time, right? Which is something we talk about a lot in marketing, in in being useful and in um, solving problems. So you've brought that into the product as well. Absolutely. It has to. It, it yeah. has to live there. Yeah. And how do you bring that together? Do you all get together like from a marketing and a product p- perspective and then agree what those out, those top outcomes are? Yeah, informed by user research. So uh, part, mm-hmm. part of our product team and a product marketing team has a re- user research function and, and a market research function. Yeah. And so bringing a lot of that knowledge in and then we get together and we work through things like the business value canvas and other kinds of tools that really help you get to sort of the, there's there's a couple kinds of jobs people have, right? There's a functional job, which is what most yeah. most companies and, and product people think about, but there's the emotional job. Yeah. There, there's also um, the career job, right? The, I want to get ahead in the world and I want to be successful, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's different kinds of jobs. And so getting in around a, a virtual table because in pandemic land, you know, we did everything through Miro, <laughs> but, but getting yeah. around the table to say, let's talk about this user. Let's talk about the, the pains and the gains they've got. Let's think about what they're trying to achieve. And if this all went beautifully, what would get better for them? Mm-hmm. And, and Miro mentioned Miro. We were on Miro earlier on with my team. It's just it's, it's quite fun. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a and, um, uh, distraction. Um, so you've got product and marketing now sitting together and talking about those outcomes. Now, do you have a classic sales team? And do you, do you, is that do you work through through them as well? And are they part of that group? Do. Yeah, so we we have a we have a three parts of our business, right? Mm-hmm. We have a, a self service kind of part of our business, which you know people can transact with a credit card. You can buy yeah. you can buy an account, and you can be using Hootsuite. That's what my mom uses. <laughs> then you have like our kind of mid market solution um, that's sold through a sales team, and then we have our large enterprise solution, which is you know the likes of Adobe and, uh, and McDonald's and State Farm and mm-hmm. all these other large mega companies. Those are your your classic sales driven motions. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you're all working off these same outcomes. And I thought it was interesting because when I was thinking about the audience from Hootsuite and thinking about what it might be like to be a marketer there, I know you run products, but um, that you kind of sell direct, like you said, to one person and all the way up to these these enterprises, you're kind of B2C and B2B. So quite a lot of time on this show, we talk about the difference between B2B and B2C and what people can learn from B2B out of B2C. What, what, what sort of dry, what, what do you see in that? How, how do you kind of cross that? How do you talk to your mum and talk to McDonald's at the same time? Yeah, personas. I, I think we yeah. use personas and, and empathy maps to really understand like what is what the jobs to be done for all those different kinds of people. Because a, a practitioner in a in a large org isn't that different than a, a small mom and pop. Uh, it's uh, just a matter of time, how much time do they have, but they all have the same problems, right? They're all mm-hmm. time poor. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think any marketer ever had too much time on their free on their on their hands and too much budget. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> so you you know the question is is this side of desk work or is this your main time full time job? And some of the use cases change a little bit, but it's really just understanding the different use cases and personas. And we have we have slightly different personas for for those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then in a larger org, you're going to have you know director VP level type folks, you're going to have CMO type folks. So you have different kind of personas for the larger orgs and they may have mm-hmm. more sophisticated needs, uh, but really understanding the different stages, that's, that's how we design for those. And, but there's a lot of commonality, a lot of overlap, which is how we're able to do it all. Right. And so, but the interesting thing is if, if I view that from a marketing perspective, then I'm creating different messaging and different content for those different audiences. And I'm, I'm probably, um, emphasizing certain features for some and certain features for others. But for you, from a product perspective, it's the same product, right? So how do you, how, how does that, how, how do you balance out? Well, I've got an incredibly experienced social media expert looking for these advanced features over here. And I keep bringing up your mum, and that's probably rude. And you've got your mum. <laughs> well, uh, we could use me, actually, because I'm also a, a customer. But uh, And you've got a, a fairly time-poor, simple, looking to do the simple things kind of customer. How, how do you, from a product perspective, um, synthesize all of that? Uh, use cases really help us yeah. figure that out. Like, what what is your use case in your time-poor world where you're going to do this 15% of your time? Yeah. and and what do you need, right? So we, we understand those use cases really well and the workflows and a lot of a lot of what we do and, and the we call it the aha moment, right? There's an aha moment yeah. that happens inside of our product where someone realizes, oh wow, this scheduling feature is super handy and gives me a ton of savings in time. So yeah. that's your that's your sort of primary uh, light bulb moment where you realize, all right, this thing's got some utility value for me. Now, mm-hmm. as you mature, then we start thinking about, and we use we use the Reforge framework internally to think about this. Uh, then we start to think, well, how do we scale you into a habit moment? How do we scale you then into further use cases and deepen deepen your yeah. use of the product? Not everybody wants yeah. that. So there are certain customers who are going to be super happy because you only have 20% of your time to right. just use the, the product in a lightweight way. And that's fine. Yeah. But then we also think about, you know, how do we scale to larger orgs? And that's where the, the differences between, say, the mid-market solution and the enterprise solution, have, they, they have lots of additional capabilities and more sophisticated uh, use cases. And so we then build and extend for those. But that's it's mm-hmm. while the core product is similar, there's a ton of extension points that really solve the bigger, more complicated uh, use cases. Right. Right, right. So you, so you, so you hook people in with the simple stuff and then it just gets deeper and you, you get sucked into all this, this great additional functionality. Right. Well, the value, uh, right? it's all about value. Yeah, the, How do you drive more yeah. value, deeper value? And, and as yeah. people are getting more success with the product, then they, they use more. Yeah. So from your perspective, then a customer journey isn't like from us, from a, just from a marketing perspective about how somebody, um, how somebody buys the product for you, the customer journey is how they then engage, adopt, and then start adopting these advanced features and how you can tease them along that journey. Absolutely. Is that correct? hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. That, and that's the beauty of SaaS. It's the curse and the beauty of SaaS. You're not, yeah. you're never done. You have got to constantly be, you know, helping customers achieve more value and grow in, in the old software world, you know, where we came from, you can sell the software yeah. and run away. You can't do that. <laughs> you're on the hook for making and sometimes as fast as you can <laughs> sometimes as fast as you can that's not possible in SaaS right they are always one right. month or one year renewal away so if you're driving yeah. value and success with them they're going to leave yeah 
Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. And I can't, um, and I, I'd love to talk to you about products and marketing uh, some more, but I need to sort of, as I've got an insider from Hootsuite, I should ask a question about um, social media. So, I mean, I imagine that most of our listeners have some social media in their marketing mix and uh, talking to an insider. What's the most popular, uh, uh, an insider from one of the most popular social media platforms? What's your number one tip at the moment for for what that you would give to an enterprise marketer right now about engaging with social media? Uh, stop spraying content. Start creating conversations. Right. It, it is. It's not new, but I, I think mm-hmm. sometimes in our rush to drive more content, more stuff, we just put out a lot of content. We don't really think about yeah. how we're creating conversations. If you think about what makes you memorable, it's not that you're spamming somebody mm-hmm. with, with 20 pounds of content. It's that you're memorable. Yeah. How are you memorable? By invoking uh, conversation and, and emotion. That's ultimately what drives memory. Right. So I would say my biggest piece of advice is start thinking about how your content creates conversation and then how are you engaging in your community. Right, right. So sort of ask more questions and then be responsive on that, not just broadcast all the time about yourself. Right. Or, or add value. Like bring up a really yeah. interesting piece of, of, of content or fact or uh, observation yeah. and then generate a discussion around it and, and be useful and add value but, but versus just kind of wading into a place you don't belong. Right. Right. And because people just ignore you if you just shout at them all the time. Uh, that's, that's perfect. Now I'm going to, I'm going to come to our final question. It's a question I asked you before. So back in 2018, when you're, a, when you were actually a CMO back then, I interviewed you for our web publication and you threw, uh, I have to introduce this uh, into our rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to hell for all the snake oil BS and overhyped trends of our wonderful industry. Three years ago, you threw single vendor marketing suites into that pool. Now, what would you chuck in today, three years later? <laughs> this is going to sound funny coming from a guy that you know, spent most of my career in the web content management world. I would have websites into the, into the, into the pit. Websites? And, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> when in this pandemic hit, I didn't go to anybody's website. My, my favorite uh, watering hole, my favorite restaurant, I didn't go to anybody's websites. I went to their social sites. I went to Facebook pages. I, I wanted to see how my restaurants were faring. They actually responded to me. We had conversations there. And I almost just wonder, is, is it time for websites to die? Because they're a one-way, they're one way. They're not, there's a conversation there. You know, maybe you have a chat bot, but, yeah. but really, honestly, who's doing chat bots other than to pester you? Um, and, and I ignore them anyway. I ignore all the chat bots. And so I, yeah. I, I would say, like, is it time to throw the website and all of these sort of one-way, comp- you know, one-way sort of broadcast channels into the pit? Is it not yeah. time to actually be human again and have two-way yeah. conversations and actually you know, go to a place where you can do those things? So I, I think that's my new, you know... My new chuck in the pit uh, thing is like these, you know, websites particularly, which is funny. That's a bold move, but I mean, do you not see the do you not see the role of the website as your sort of anchor property that you're you're where? I mean, I see the role. I agree with you about the role of social as being where you might communicate. But is, isn't isn't your website like your headquarters, but your social and all that kind of stuff are your telephones and your emails and stuff like that, so you can engage? I mean. Okay. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to gently talk me into this. All right, so it's, it's size going the rockstar CMO pool. As I, I, I know, it's a, it's a provocative statement. Management. 
But let, think about it this way. First of all, what's the what's the belief yeah. in in marketing content mm. uh, nowadays? You know, and that and that is that sort of highly polished, which is your website, right? Yes. It's also you know, it's 20, 30 years on, like the first mm. time I ran into my first WCM product was literally in 1995. Right. I, and I, I bought broad vision and it was hard to implement yeah. that back then. It's not really gotten any easier. And, and now <laughs> you have all these web vendors talking about composable DXP. Right. That just makes my teeth ache and just the complexity and the pain. Um, about where we struggle as a business uh, to update yeah. content. It's too hard. It takes too long versus people can jump onto their social media page and like knock out some content. The complexity is too high. Yeah. But isn't that, isn't that more of an indictment of the platforms more than the form? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's actually the, the fact that our, our websites are these static monoliths governed by these content management systems that really haven't responded to our needs. Um, but it's, it's 25 years on and we haven't figured it out. <laughs> and I just, I mean, we can pick on WordPress, right? Yeah. So something super turnkey out of the box. Um, but people still don't do that. My, my restaurant down the road that uses WordPress still didn't put their stuff up on no, their website. True, 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 true. So why is that? Like, I just, I think that there's something about that. And, and I wonder if it, I mean, I wonder if, if maybe that's the problem that the customers are just not coming to websites as much anymore. And, and I, I say that, you know, one, you know, I think Hootsuite has some of the biggest traffic around all the content we create and our blog is great. Mm-hmm. I think blogs and, and content that is sort of living yeah. and, and constantly updated and, and a bit more authentic. And maybe it's the authenticity that I'm really after here. Yeah. But even in blogs, you can have a conversation. We can discuss, do you agree or disagree? Yeah. It's really the, the sort of the one-sided nature of a conversation that I'm, I'm objecting to so with, with websites. It's the brochureware website that's monolithic, that's hard to change, that's governed by some massive CMS which is basically the thing we're throwing in, right? Something a bit more yeah. agile and edgy, a blog, for example, or something like that, or somebody who's actually using WordPress properly is fine. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, as but, long as it's constantly being updated, yeah. it reflects what's going on. It's not just this glossy, glossy piece. Yeah. Or it's functional, right? I think, you know, there are websites out there that are incredibly functional. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you, you could argue that web that Hootsuite itself is a website, right? It's yeah. an application it's yeah. a website. Yes. I mean, things sure. like that are different, but these static sort of, you know, things that don't ever change. I, I think yeah. that's the stuff I puck into, uh, puck into the pit. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I'm, 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 I'm sold. Well, pretty much. Well, almost. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> until ask, until somebody asked me to build one. No, yes, I think you're right. So these brochureware monolithic websites that not, never get changed into the swimming pool. Uh, that was my final question, Darren. I'm just looking at time. I know that you're a busy chap. Where, if people are looking to um, to find you and spin the dial on the interwebs, where might they find you? Well, you can you can certainly find me on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. and LinkedIn um, slash D Gornacha and, and at D Gornacha on both of those places. Yeah. Um, and and of course, we're we're constantly writing, putting up great thought leadership stuff on our blog at Hootsuite.com. I think uh, I think we get like eight million viewers a year or a month. Um, so it's a it's a lot of content. We put a ton of thought leadership up there. So that's yeah. you, a bit of my writing as well. Well, splendid. Well, I'll include all the links uh, that you just shared in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time, Darren. I look forward to speaking to you again, mate. Maybe not three years next time, maybe a bit soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Thank you, Darren. So we're chucking brocheware websites into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. I definitely didn't see that one coming. Delighted to get Darren's insight from within a company that's touched most of us marketers. I will, of course, include links to him and Hootsuite in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week. It's Friday evening and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Good to see you in the bar tonight. Mm-hmm. We have a, you know, it's been a while since we've done something a little more fancy. Um, and, I, you know, I don't have any name for this other than I just call it a, you know, how, how do you have a fancy whiskey? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm calling it the fancy whiskey. Nice. Um, and so you take your favorite blended whiskey, Um I have several, um, but I'll let you choose whatever blended whiskey you like. Um, Then you add basically, so one or call it one part, right? Mm -hmm. One one part uh, blended whiskey. And and, and I'll let you also define a part because a part for me is really quite big, Um, but it may be smaller for others. Uh, So one part blended whiskey. Then you add a little bit, uh, a quarter part, let's call it of triple sec. And I know that sounds a little weird, but keep me mm-hmm. with this a triple sec um and then a, a half maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of orange uh you know like a squeeze from an orange or a squeeze from yeah. something sweet like if you really sweet grapefruit or a really sweet orange or a yeah. tangerine or something that would be good just to give it a sweetness and then a dash of bitters and then of course you know whatever you like for your garnish whether you like a lemon or an orange twist or something wow. like that so it's and it's and and no ice in this. Um, you just shake that up uh, into a very cold glass and drink it like a martini. And that's a that's your fancy whiskey. That sounds very fancy. Now then, um, I, I have this envision the way you come up with these cocktails, which is you know like it's, it's almost like a lab going on there. But um, I'm um, I, I you didn't put ice in that, and I just put ice in mine. And the reason why I put ice in mine is because when I survey my desktop bar, I find that I have gin. And my gin this week is Bombay <laughs> Sapphire, yeah. and I will have a little drop of Bombay Sapphire, which is a bit like whiskey in that it is an alcoholic drink. Uh, and and I, I do enjoy a large part myself too, my friend. Um, and then ah. um, and, and those lovely things that you put in it, you know what it conjured up to me? It conjured up cucumber tonic water. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Which I shall liberally pour into here. No shaking. Uh, otherwise, that would make it a bit all fizzy. Let me taste this. Mmm. That's very fancy, Robert. I do like that. could drink ah, one of these every week. And what did you call it? I call, I just call it a fancy whiskey. Mmm. Mmm. That's very nice. I'm not getting the whiskey in mine, but mmm. There's probably a reason for that. Mmm. Jolly nice. And if we're going to be drinking these fancy drinks, where are you taking us this week, sir? You know, I think with a fancy whiskey, there are a number of places we should go. But it feels like this, 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 you know, kind of whiskey, mm-hmm. we should be going someplace really sophisticated. Cool. Um, and so one of the most sophisticated places I know is in your hometown there. Mm-hmm. Um and and I will be honest with you, I'm forgetting the name of the place. Um, it's a hotel 
just on the outskirts of old London. Mm. Um, and I know that I know that doesn't help at all. Trust me, because no, um, London is quite old. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, I mean, I mean, the proper city center, the proper, yeah, you know, the proper London city center, the you know, city of London, yeah. London. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and there's an old hotel there that is really a fancy, sophisticated, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. white glove, uh, you know, yeah. service kind of place. And I've been there only I've never stayed there, but I have been there for dinner and for 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 lunch a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely fabulous. And I was trying to look it up prior to our get together and I couldn't mm-hmm. find it. But it's but it's that hotel in right outside. And if I find it while we're talking, I'll, I'll mention it. But I think um, otherwise, I, yeah, I think it's just a, yeah, I think you've painted a lovely picture, and there are a number of um, different establishments that I can think of that are hotels across London with a similar sort of style. And and yeah, not one of those, not, and I don't, and, and it's one of those classic mm. English hotels, yes. right? Not one where you walk in and you know, in the <laughs> you know, where there's mod, you know, furniture no. and balls no. of light sitting in the middle of the lobby, and no. you know, IKEA furniture in your room. Not, not that, no. right? No, it's the, it's I... the classic old English hotel yeah. with you know where everybody speaks with a posh accent, and you know that whole thing. It's it's yes. that, and people are taking tea. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. In the afternoon, and 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 they're usually like little old ladies in there, and they're wearing their white gloves and the whole thing. Exactly, and it's just our kind of place. We'd fit right in there, I think. Yes, but you know, it's it it has that ambiance, right? It has that sophistication ambiance where you feel like you're going to talk about, you know, the sophistication Mm. of politics or writing or you know Mm. or economics or something, right? That's Mm. you know. Yeah, so we're gonna we're in our hushed voices because yeah. <laughs> and by the way the virtual rockstar cmo bar is sophisticated i mean we do have a pianist you know so therefore we are quite sophisticated oh that is true that is true <laughs> what um we're, we're, if we're going to lower the tone with our talk of marketing what are we going to talk about this week well we'll talk about something that is not talked about in hushed tones and that is brand oh. um <laughs> you know i i this is something that's been on my mind lately because I've just been noticing so much of it, which is as we come into this new normal, the next normal, whatever you want to call it, um, how much we're seeing brand become an important part of content strategy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just to put numbers to it, and this is, these are anecdotal numbers, obviously, but, uh, the, the numbers that would say, okay, if in 2019 I did 20 consulting projects and two of them, three of them were driven by the CMO and the brand organization. Yeah. And in 2021, we've to date done probably eight or nine projects um, thus far. Mm-hmm. And all but one of them have been driven out of the brand organization and have ties to the CMO. Right. And there was even an article uh, that was produced just a week or two ago at Digiday that talked about this idea of the CMO and the pressure of I brand. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I saw that. that and I thought uh, of you, actually. And I thought of you and, and Joe's podcast, which I'm not going to promote anymore. But <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I thought it was. Um, and you discussed it on your podcast, podcast um, last week. And I think um, and I, I saw that article and I thought of you immediately. So carry on. Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, no, and no worries. And, and but what it made me think of was sort of the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the you know when we see brands and it happens more and more these days um, where they make a mistake, right? Yeah, and they falter in some way, and it goes viral on social. Um, you know, you get some really you know unintended either error or quite frankly just dumb mistake. Yeah. That a brand makes and it's not the brand making the mistake let's be clear it's a person in the brand that's making Mm -hmm. a mistake here um either in a bad way or a you know in a in a silly way and the reaction that that produces and i'm reminded you know this of a lesson that we can learn here is when we start thinking of ourselves as brand storytellers there was this um so Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. he said, you know, well, I think it's really a, a, an interesting quote. He said, you know, we tend to judge ourselves by our motives and others by their behavior. So in other words, if we make a mistake, it's like, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. Right. But by others, it's by, you know, we, we go, oh, they screwed up. They, you know, they're yeah. mean, they're racist, they're sexist, yeah. they're, you know, they, they, they meant to do that. And it's an attribution error, of course, to be able to do that. Hmm. So it basically leads us to to sort of say, let's understand that our brand has flaws in its character. Like we Mm -hmm. need to recognize that our brand, when we tell our brand story, Mm -hmm. you know, we can start to recognize that we all have flaws in our character and we can use those you know i mean look luke skywalker's got a dark side uh you know if you look at clarice starling from silence of the lamb she's got shame about her childhood even george you know like it's a wonderful life george bailey right he's the perfect father the brother and the friend but he's got self-worth issues you know indiana jones he's got so much hubris about what he does that he's got kind of a blindness about the fact that you know people around him get hurt and that flaw in our brand hero, that can help us create conflict and tension in our stories that help our, uh, help our brand be even stronger. Yeah. In other words, yeah. if we can start telling some of the darker side, the flawed side of our brand, we can use some of that to even build a stronger brand and avoid some of those mistakes and earn our right to actually make a mistake or two when we when yeah. we, you know when we're when we're out there uh, I'll, I'll just i'll finish with this because it's so top of mind mm-hmm. just recently you heard about all of the things that are going on with this uh you know with um uh, base camp right yeah if you yeah yeah followed yeah, yeah. the story but basically well, very heard, quickly I've, well i've interviewed the former vp of marketing andy didarosi um for rockstar yeah. cmo really nice guy yeah, they have they so they had a bad week a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and the bad week was and we won't go into any detail here. You can look it up yeah. online, but basically, there they had this thing where they you know their employees and they lost thirty percent of their employees yeah. in one week yeah. due to an internal work issue and conflict in the workplace and some of the decreed changes that the management wanted to make. Yeah. In any normal situation, that goes unnoticed, right? But in in a situation where the brand has has purported itself to be perfect in the mm-hmm. way that it goes about its mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and 
showing it, you know, that we are the perfect example of what work culture should be and yeah. we know better and all that. It, it, it shows up as being truly ironic and thus hurts them more than if they had sort of worked on showing some of the flawed parts of their character as well. Oh, indeed. And, and it's, it's the, it's that delivery on the promise, isn't it? Of your brand. That's, that's, that's right. That aspect of that, that um, we've talked about before. And, um, and I had uh, Marco, um, sorry, Margot Bloomstein on last week and she was talking about trust and she was talking about that you can build trust through being vulnerable. Right. So ex- sort of what you're saying, I think having some of those rough edges and acknowledging them actually builds trust in your audience because, you know, they, they can see that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a tool, right? Yeah. I, and, and, and to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we need to write blog posts about how horrible we are, right? That's not the, <laughs> that's not the, that's not the point. Um, you know, and it's also not the point to say that we need to always point out our flaws when we point out our, yeah. you know, when our, our strengths as well. It's to acknowledge it. Right. It yeah. is to acknowledge the flaws in our brand yeah. and not get so wrapped up in our perfection that we we don't acknowledge those things and learn from them and address them in a way that helps the audience have interest and trust in what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's the it's the facing our dark side. It's the facing mm-hmm. our shame about our childhood. It's facing mm-hmm. the fact that we've got self-worth issues and it's facing the fact that we have hubris and a blind drive, you know, all of those things that those heroes makes those heroes so interesting, right? If Luke Skywalker were perfect, we wouldn't care about him. No, exactly. It's the fact that there's a dark side that he's avoiding and that he acknowledges that makes him so interesting. And so we can acknowledge those things and say, you know, in, in, you know, at its most tactical level, these are, this is what we're trying to avoid becoming that, makes us more interesting to the and more trustworthy quite frankly to those yeah. who um those those who trust in us yeah and and some of those rough edges um it, it's funny be, um uh, are actually what attracts your tribe aren't they that they, they acknowledge that you're that, that you're a bit different through that's right through those things i mean um somebody's chatting to me about this very podcast and, and he was like you've got this and, and i'm uh, you know you've got this rock star cmo brand but you're not really a rock star <laughs> you don't have that rock star attitude and it's um and so um it's it's a it's 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 being human about the whole affair that i think is um i don't know i don't know where i was going with that but <laughs> the, it, it, well but you're but you're interviewing those who are that's yeah the, that's exactly the point. so that's where i'm going exactly thank yeah. you for that i'm absolutely interviewing people who are um and you included um so so uh, back to the thing so we need to admit our i'm just the bartender man i'm just the, <laughs> all i am is the bartender <laughs> well, one of these weeks i'll let you play on the piano <laughs> yeah well thank you very much for that very nice thought robert and um where and i need to find that digiday article include that in the show notes yeah um, do that because that's a good it's a great article of what's going article. on right now yeah, yeah yeah and where um and where can people find thoughts your well thoughts? our little hovel on the web is contentadvisory.net where we talk about these things and many others yeah mm-hmm. that's, and when, that's the best place. and when the listener spins a dial on the interwebs where they find you 
Well, there's, there is our own podcast that we talk mm-hmm. to, and that's called This Old Marketing, which you can find on your favorite podcatcher, wherever you podcatch podcasts. How many <laughs> podcasts can you catch if you catch a podcast, I guess? Um, and then, of course, on social media, Robert underscore Rose on Twitter and on LinkedIn as well. Splendid. I, I've never got onto that pod, calling those things podcatchers, but I guess I should. If the cool kids are calling them podcatchers, I keep saying Apparently, it's, and the word is not subscribe anymore, it's follow, because you don't actually, ah. the, the, the word is actually, I guess, follow the podcast instead of subscribe, because what you're actually doing with all those podcatchers is following them, not necessarily right. subscribing to them. So I've been, right. I've been told otherwise. Oh, well, there you see. That's why I don't have uh, people um, catching my pod in their podcatcher yeah. and, and following. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Robert. And uh, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it, my friend. See you then. Thank you, Robert. We seem to talk a lot about brand and trust on this podcast. Wonderful perspective there. We'd love to know what you guys think. So that's a wrap on episode 62 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Darren and Robert. I really appreciate their time. So please check out the show notes, click their links, follow them, take a look at their work. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let me know what you think. Please leave a rating, review and subscribe or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back. I'm hoping to chat about measuring content marketing with Misha Tramp, VP Strategy and Insights at Metia. And again, I'll join Robert Rose in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.